the, there's a slogan in the jihadi world, and the hardcore way of saying it is, on Saturday we kill the Jews, on Sunday we kill the Christians. Mm. It's more often said, first comes Saturday, then comes Sunday, and they know what they mean. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome back to Radio Free Acton. This is the podcast of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. Good to have you with us today on our podcast. My name is Mark Vandermoss. So pleased to be your host on the podcast. The voice that you heard there at the beginning was that of Lila Gilbert, who is an adjunct fellow at the Hudson Institute in Washington, D.C. She's an educator and author. She's authored or co-authored more than 60 books. Her latest release was what brought her here to the Acton Institute to participate in the 2015 Acton Lecture Series. She, uh, along with Paul Marshall and Nina Shea, wrote a book called Persecuted, The Global Assault on Christians. That's what she was here to talk about as part of the Acton Lecture Series. Uh, I had an opportunity to sit down with her in the Acton Studios here and talk about uh, her prior book uh, that recounts her experiences uh, moving from Southern California to live as a resident of Israel. The book is called Saturday People, Sunday People, Israel through the eyes of a Christian sojourner. We'll get to that interview in just a little bit. Before we get to that, I want to let you know about the big event that's coming up on the Acton Institute calendar, and there is no bigger event on the Acton Institute calendar than this one. Acton University is on the way. If you're not familiar with Acton U, you're going to want to check it out. Acton U is our annual conference that we hold here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It's by far the biggest thing that we do at the Acton Institute. Uh, Acton, when we started off, 25 years ago, we began doing uh, very small conferences. Uh, generally, 10 to 15 people would come to these things, and we called them Toward a Free and Virtuous Society. And it would be a weekend where people would come, uh, and they would uh, listen to various speakers and uh, engage in conversations uh, surrounding the question of how do you build a free and virtuous society? Um, and over the years, the, we, we did more and more of these conferences. And then back in 2005, the idea came, why don't we do a symposium where we bring in a whole bunch of people to Grand Rapids and uh, we, we do a, a, a series of, you know, we do a few days worth of lectures and uh, conversations and plenary speakers in the evening and just have a, a larger conference, uh, sort of a larger version of the Free and Virtuous Society conferences. And the following year in 2006, uh, that grew into what is now known as Acton University. This year is the 10th anniversary Acton University. Every year we've held it in downtown Grand Rapids, Michigan. We started off in a smaller facility, but have since moved to the very large conference facility here on the banks of the Grand River, the DeVos Place Conference Center. We take it over for the better part of a week, and we bring in about a 1,000 people from around the world, participants from every continent except Antarctica. And we bring in a great stable of teachers, professors, speakers to talk about these very topics. How is it that you build a free and virtuous society? Topics ranging from religion, religious history, general history, economics, business, all different sorts of folks come in to participate in this conference and engage in that question of how we build that free and virtuous society. If you're interested in going to a conference like that, and uh, frankly, you should be because it's a fantastic conference, registration for 2015 has closed. I know, bummer. But we do have a way for you to get a taste of what Acton University is like if you're in the Grand Rapids area here in Michigan. 
uh, we are offering what we're calling dinner and a lecture at Acton University. And that means that we are opening up our evening plenary sessions to the public if you want to come in and enjoy a great meal. And we do have uh, a, our, our staff does a fantastic job of planning out the meals at Acton U. You will not go hungry, um, but you'll have a fantastic meal and you'll be able to engage the evening plenary lectures that happen at Acton University. This year, our speakers, we got four different speakers uh, for four nights. Dr. Sam Gregg, our director of research here at the Acton Institute, leads things off with the opening address. Uh, he actually filled in for Father Robert Sirico, our president and co-founder. I think this was back in, I want to say it was 2013. Father Sirico had to be out of town and couldn't do his traditional closing lecture at Acton University. And Sam uh, stepped up to the plate and really did a fantastic job uh, at, at, as the closing uh, closing speaker for Acton University that year. And I'm absolutely confident that he's going to do the same thing this year in the opening slot. Uh, following Sam, on June 17th, we've got Dr. Greg Thornbury, who is the president of the King's College in New York City. Uh, and he's a fantastic speaker as well. Thursday night should be interesting. Uh, Joel Salatin is with us. If you don't know that name, Joel Salatin is a full-time third-generation alternative farmer from Virginia's Shenandoah Valley. And uh, he's going to be speaking to us about his farming techniques, about the economics of farming, and about where our food comes from and why that's important. It's going to be a great evening. should be a very interesting lecture to hear that night. And, of course, our closing lecture this year comes from our founder and president, Reverend Robert A. Sirico, who always does a fantastic job uh, sending us off every year at Acton University. So if you are interested in joining us for uh, dinner and a lecture at Acton University, check out our website, acton.org slash events. All the information that you need is there to register for uh, each night. Uh, the cost is $60 a person if you want to bring along some friends. The price drops to $200 for four tickets. So check it out, acton.org slash events. And join us for dinner and a lecture at Acton University. Well, I'm pleased to be joined today by Leela Gilbert. She is an author, a speaker, journalist, and adjunct fellow for religious freedom at the Hudson Institute in Washington, D.C. And Leela, welcome to Acton. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Well, Leela, uh, before we get into the topic uh, that we're here to talk about today, I want to ask you a little bit about the Hudson Institute. Um, you're an adjunct fellow there, and uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what Hudson is and where you're located, what you guys do. Hudson Institute is located in Washington, D.C., and it has it's a think tank that has smaller study centers within itself. There's specific scholars there that that operate under the umbrella of Hudson, but I work with two different centers. I work with the Center for Religious Freedom, and I work for the Center on Islam, Democracy, and the Future of the Muslim World. I do some research for them in the media in the Middle East, and then with Nina Shea and Paul Marshall, who I know you've had Nina Shea here, um, I work with, with them on these specific issues of Christian persecution, minority persecution, hmm. Globally, Yeah, and that's what you're going to be here talking about today uh, as part of our Acton Lecture Series, the book that you just wrote with your colleagues uh, Paul Marshall and Nina Shea called Persecuted, The Global Assaults on Christians. Now, you also just told me that you've accepted a position at a, a, another Michigan institution here in the Mitten State, um, Hillsdale College. Uh, what, what are you going to be doing over at Hillsdale? Well, I'm going to be the Distinguished Fellow in 
Israeli-American journalism, which means that I'll be working with their journalism students on Middle East issues and on what goes on in Israel and introducing one student per year as an intern to an Israeli news uh, source. Like the Times of Israel will be our first. There's a young woman going soon that will spend the summer there. And working with them, she's going to learn a little bit about how things huh. work. Wow, that that is going to be a fascinating experience for your students. Um, I, I have to ask you about the book that that you're, we're here to talk about right now: uh, Saturday People, Sunday People, uh, Israel through the eyes of a Christian sojourner. Now, I, I have a lot of friends, and I know of a lot of people, you know, either in my church or in my community, who either have done or would love to do one of those tours that you take of the Holy Land. There are folks who go on the week-long or two-week-long excursions out to Israel and its environs to see a lot of the places uh, that uh, are mentioned in the Bible and the scriptures. Uh, and Israel, of course, is, there's a ton of them. And so a lot of people have done that, but you kind of did that in a manner that's a little bit more extreme. You actually um, rented a place in Jerusalem, sight unseen, and you—, you pulled up stakes and moved there. Yeah, it was a little insane. <laughs> One way to put it. <laughs> well, because I write, I can I can live and work just about anywhere. Thanks for the internet, you know, because it moves us around everywhere and we can keep in touch. And so I was working on a book. Uh, actually, I was working on a biography of Baroness Cox, who you probably know. And so it was possible for me to work on that book in Israel as easily as in California, where I was living. So I rented an apartment online, sight unseen, which fortunately turned out to be perfect. And I made friends so quickly. I did not know one person there when I left. And I never left the place. I'm still there. <laughs> and it's been nine years. Yeah, nine years so far. So, so let me ask you this. What makes a, a woman from Southern California pull up stakes, leave the relative peace and tranquility of, of a place like you know Orange County, and move to the most contentious country in the world, uh, you know, rightly or wrongly, but a country that's constantly under assault by its neighbors. Um, and, and you did so in the middle of a war. Yes, I did. And that wasn't planned. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I, en I ended up going there during the 2006 Lebanon War, Second Lebanon War, yeah. which was actually a good introduction to the country in its own way. It was dangerous. And I had some phone calls from family members and friends suggesting that maybe I not do that. But I, I already had it set up. So, But I, I learned about Israel in wartime, which is very much the nature of the country. As you said, it's, there's a lot of contention, a lot of terrorism, or there used to be more. I, actually, it's pretty calmed down now. But I got to see the people united as one in the face of a huge attack from the north, from Hezbollah, and some from Gaza. And it was a very good introduction. I learned how these people pick up and start over again. I saw them stand in the face of terrible injury. I, I really, um, I learned to love them in their courage as one of the first lessons I learned, which I wouldn't have learned on the tour bus. This was a whole different kind of introduction. A really immersive experience, Absolutely. even more so than you would get just on, on the tour. And I really didn't ever want to go on the tour. That was one reason for renting the apartment. I, I, I don't like tours where you're bombarded for 12 hours a day with information, and then you get on a plane and go home and you haven't even processed it. I, sure. my, my way of thinking, I need to go home, think 
think about things day after day. And so it's much more appropriate for my way of learning to go out and just be among the people and get acquainted and, and learn from them what life is like. And then, of course, the biblical stuff is amazing. The streets are named after the prophets. I mean, where do you find that? You yeah, know? yeah. Now, now you living in Israel, I, I can imagine, gives you a whole different perspective on the problems that the Middle East deals with and has been dealing with for as long as I can remember. Um, and and it also gives you a sort of a close-up view of, of some of the, the bad things that are going on over there. The, the Jews, of course, have faced, I, I think it's fair to say the Jews have faced persecution for a very, very long time. And they face a, a rather intractable enemy in the Arabs, uh, many of whom simply don't want Israel to exist, want to drive the Jews out of the Middle East, and depending on how seriously you take the charter of Hamas, for instance, uh, want to drive the Jews into the sea. Uh, presumably, the, this isn't a, a group that's uh, very interested in human rights. The, this persecution that the Jews have faced for so many years, it now seems to be moving also to people of the cross, to Christians in the Middle East. Uh, we're now seeing ancient Christian communities being snuffed out, being being just wiped off the map. Um, what's going on right now? From from your point of view as a person who lives in Israel, what have you seen with the rise of ISIS? What What's your perspective on, on what's going on in, in the Middle East right now? Well, you're right. The Jews have been persecuted for centuries, millennia, some at the hands of Christians, mm-hmm. quite a bit, actually. Yeah. But what we have today is is a rising tide of radical Islam that has been rising since 79. I would say that most people date it to the Iranian revolution, yes. and there was a, there was a parallel uh, revolution in the Sunni world at that time as well. Out of that came uh, both the al-Qaeda side and the Iranian side, which includes Hezbollah. Mm-hmm. But what's what's happened now, and this is the biggest lesson I learned there, and my book, I have a book called Saturday People, Sunday People yes. that you mentioned. The, there's a slogan in the jihadi world, and the hardcore way of saying it is, on Saturday we kill the Jews, on Sunday we kill the Christians. Hmm. It's more often said, first comes Saturday, then comes Sunday, and they know what they mean. Yeah, yeah. But what we see is that The people that God gave his word to, he gave his word to the Jews in the Torah, in the scripture, Mm -hmm. and Christians believe that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And it seems that the people of the book, which is what the Muslims call us, Mm -hmm. are really hated because we, we claim to have a revelation that contradicts theirs. Yes. And so... First, the Jews were expelled from Muslim lands. Between 1948 and 1970, nearly a million Jews left with the shirts on their back from 10 or 12, depending on how you analyze it, Mm -hmm. countries. There are less than 5,000 Jews left in all of those countries today. And now it's the Sunday people. Same countries, same tactics, maybe more brutal but we have the same exodus. We're losing the cradle of Christianity. The only place in the Middle East where Christians are actually safe and their community is growing is in Israel. And it's a small community, but they're safe there. So my interest in the Jews, which is what took me to Israel in the first place, was quickly combined 
with a realization that the Sunday people were now the ones standing in line and getting abused, and I better mm-hmm. inform myself. And so that's those are the parallel tracks that I write about. The the disturbing thing about this, I, I think, it, American Christians very often live in our little we live in a little bubble uh, because we we've lived in a country. And I think this is true of, of at least in the North American side of things. I think Europe is a little different. But in, in North America, we live in, in you know, Canada or the United States, countries that have historically been, quote unquote, Christian countries. And we have not faced persecution. We have not faced a lot of opposition, although I think that's changing now. I think that there's uh, more pushback against Christianity in America in particular and Canada, too, than there has been ever. Um but but i think i think we're comfortable and we don't necessarily look around the world and see these things that are going on should we well l- l- let me ask it this way islam is a religion is islam as a religion the radical islam that you that you see in the middle east right now that's currently wiping christians out of these countries and has already done so largely with the jews does radical islam have ambitions beyond the middle east absolutely they believe there will be a global caliphate that will rule the world. And they're very apocalyptic. And this is something that Christians kind of miss. I didn't know anything about this until I was in the Middle East and started reading more and more about the vision of each, both the Sunni and the Shia have an apocalyptic vision that involves cleansing the land of the infidel Mm -hmm. and having the recurrence of the return or the appearance of a Mahdi or an Imam, the great Imam. In in Shia, it's one version, and in Sunni Islam, it's another. But they're both planning to rule the world. It will be a one-world religion. And and they, they have a plan to exterminate the people that are in the way. And they believe that when this Mahdi or Imam arrives, that the world will be cleansed. In fact, um, they, some of them believe that Jesus will be at his right, at the right hand of this uh, messianic figure, killing the Christians who have not lived up to the true revelation. Jesus, of course, is, is considered to be a prophet in Islam. He's a great prophet. Mm-hmm. He was not the son of God, and he was not crucified. Not crucified, did not and, rise. Right. But, yes. but he's a good guy. Having lived in Israel and, and living there now, um, and, and having a better, a, I think, a better understanding of what the basis of the crisis and the conflict is, and, and a, a pretty good understanding of how it's being played out right now, is there a way that you can uh, describe to us for average Christians— to be involved in this problem? How, how, how should we respond to the problem of radical Islam? There are those who say that it, radical Islam isn't even a real thing. It's just something that we've made up. How, what, what's an appropriate response for, for people in the West? How, how should we be looking at this? And especially for Christians, how, what, what can we do uh, either in terms of contacting our elected officials or just being informed? What can we do to... to push back against this this tide of persecution that people are facing in the Middle East? In my view, the most important thing we can do is be informed. And that involves more than listening to the news on TV at 6 or 11. It's not going to be there. And it's, it's more challenging, but we have an internet now. We can find ways to research what's going on yes. and but read books, understand what Islam teaches, 
yes, there are various kinds of Islam. Um, I've sort of stopped using the word moderate because I don't think it means very much. It, it, it can mean anything from disinterested to being a, a subversive who doesn't say much. So sure. I like the word reformer. I like the idea of the Muslim reformers, okay. the ones that stand up and say, this needs to be changed. This old view of this needs to be rethought theologically. But as for Christians, what can we do? We can know what's going on and not stick our heads in the sand. That doesn't mean we have to live in fear in the United States. You know, there will be cells of these terrorist groups. We, we have to believe that because it's true. But our battle, I think, is to realize that our faith is a very real thing. The, the Judeo-Christian faith is based on the revelation of God. And it can stand in the face of lies and deception. But we need to know what that deception is. We need to know our enemy. We're not supposed to say this is an enemy. I mean, politically correct uh, verbiage is that, well, they're just some crazy people out there. And, you know, we just have to, they're, they're more like criminals than anything else. Mm-hmm. No, it is actually a very different religious system. Because it's monotheistic doesn't mean we worship the same God. Mm-hmm. We have, if we look at the attributes of of our God and the attributes of Allah, we're going to see some very great discrepancies. So we need to understand their faith. We need to understand our faith. And we need to understand how we can help our brothers and sisters. And this is tough because we're very, we, I feel powerless. I mean, I can do something because I can write. I can go visit refugees. It's not so far down the road. But what can we do? Well, I do believe in prayer. Absolutely. I believe that prayer really does move mountains. And I think one of the things that would be wise would be to be informed and then to pray wisely and to not be so intimidated politically that we are afraid to look at this issue. Yeah. And that's a danger. Yeah, oh, it certainly is. A, cu- a couple places that you can go to be informed um, involve Layla's books, uh, the books that uh, she's talking about today. Saturday People, Sunday People, Israel Through the Eyes of a Christian Sojourner. That one was released in 2012. Uh, also Persecuted, The Global Assault on Christians. Uh, Tommy Nelson book uh, released uh, just in 2013. Important stuff there. And you have a website as well, LaylaGilbert.com, uh, where you, you I, I noticed that you do blog and you do uh, give information on some of the things that are going on in that region. But those are a few good resources for our listeners to start getting up to speed on what's really going on in the Middle East. And, and Leela, thank you so much. I know that you're a little jet-lagged and tired right now, but um, thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. And uh, I, just like, just like Leela, I want to encourage all of our listeners, be in prayer, be informed and be in prayer, uh, because uh, Christian brothers and sisters around the world are under assault, and, and also for, for the Jews that, uh, that are also facing this same Same challenge. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And with that, we bring our podcast to a close today. Uh, My thanks to Leela Gilbert for uh, joining me in the Acton Studios and talking about her experiences in Israel. My thanks to you as well for joining us here uh, on a weekly basis on Radio Free Acton. It's always good to have folks come along and join us for our podcasting excursions. 
Uh, if you want to check out our archives, you can do so at uh, radio.actin.org. Also, make sure that you're bookmarking and checking the Acton Institute Power Blog at blog.actin.org. Lots of good stuff there on a daily basis as well. That is it for now. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of Radio Free Acton. My name is Mark Vandermoss. It's been great to be with you. And we'll see you on the next edition of Radio Free Acton. <laughs>